Money Books with Aaron, Polly, Tim, Wayne, and Andrew. I'm Aaron. I'm Polly. This is Wayne. This is Tim. And this is Andrew. Great things happened yesterday. And those great things were Star Trek hitting Netflix streaming. I am overdosing on Star Trek. Just Hallelujah. It is, uh, it, is, it is pretty awesome. So I know you've hit the original series. I know you've hit Next Gen. How much have you watched? I have watched, I think yesterday I did four episodes of original series. I did one episode of Next Generation and 15 minutes of Voyager. Because <laughs> <laughs> <That's> random. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I was watching. I I I started into. I watched the first thing I watched on uh, on Netflix streaming was the Doomsday Machine episode of of the original series because you know we were talking about it you know a couple of weeks ago and um, got me all all horny for that episode again and so watched it and then y'all you know, watched Where No Man Has Gone Before also original series and couple of, uh, I watched Balance of Terror and then uh, the Enterprise Incident the two Romulan episodes. And I was like, okay, well, I'll go, I'll go watch, uh, you know, Next Generation now. So I watched uh, an episode of I watched uh, yesterday's Enterprise on Next Generation, which is the one where the Enterprise C comes through the time rift, and you know, Tasha Yar is suddenly alive again. <clears throat> I love that episode. It's a great episode. It's one of the best from that series, and really laid the foundation for uh, some additional really just terrific stories. And then I was like, okay, well, you know, let's round it out and watch a little. Uh, uh, Star Trek Voyager, and so I, I flipped on one of the uh, the Borg episodes of Star Trek Voyager, and just remembered how much I dislike Seven of Nine, and uh, so I only got 15 minutes into that and said, "Yeah, we'll try that again later." <laughs> Rather, <laughs> so you didn't watch any Enterprise, though? You know, I, I'm not a real big Enterprise fan. Is um, anybody? Well, Wayne is. Oh uh, yeah, I love <laughs> that show. It's one of my favorite out of all the Star Treks. And I, I really I mean, it had a it had a bad, had like a bad season, but I I liked the uh, last year and a half of it. But you know, I've seen Enterprise a lot more recently than I've seen the other series. So I'll I'll get to it. It just wasn't one of the things I wanted to watch just right out of the gate. Yeah, the last year and a half was by far the best. Oh, they absolutely. Really hit their stride at the end after it was too late. Exactly. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm digging it. I, I cannot wait for Deep Space Nine to hit in October, though. I mean, if Deep Space Nine had hit yesterday, that would have been all I watched yesterday. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I am I am so ready to watch some DS9. But I got to say, um, they have done a beautiful job uh, doing the, the digital remastering of the original series episodes. And, you know, they really did that right. You know, whereas when George Lucas went and, and re- digitized the star wars films and he added special effects he also added story and changed character that kind of thing um they didn't do that in star trek number one they they, they cleaned everything up and the, the effects that they added were really in the spirit of the original effect it just made it cleaner and more impressive looking but it wasn't a you know let's add a whole bunch of crazy explosions that we didn't need to add in fact one of the things i find really interesting about the you know new special effects in star trek is that they're very much done in the spirit of the original series so when you have an explosion it's not as uh uh 
three dimensional and you know crazy like you would, like you've seen in Star Wars, like when they they added the expanding ring of destruction from the Death Star explosion, you know that kind of thing. They didn't do that; they kept it in the, in the same spirit, but just made it a little bit more crisp and and uh, and uh, clean. So I, I really think that the Star Trek guys got that right. I'm just surprised you say that because I, I have literally not heard anyone who's as big a Star Trek fan as you uh-huh. who was positive on that. Uh, oh, I, I think they did a really nice job. In fact, some of the uh, ship effects, you know, one of the things that, that I think would, would have been the temptation is to make those ship effects a little bit more glorious, you know, a little bit more big screen worthy, you know, particularly since they're, they're one of the big reasons to do the digital improvements was to make it look better on big screen, digital, you know, flat screen televisions. But they didn't do that. They kept it in the spirit of the original show. So there's even this one effect that, you know, they've got the, the, the ship traveling and it's supposed to be uh, demonstrating that it's not that it's you know not operating at full efficiency. And so in the in the original broadcast episode, it shakes a little bit. And it really it literally looks like someone's holding the model and just wiggling it back and forth. Right. Well, they duplicate that effect in the, the digital version. You know, just to kind of keep the same feeling of it, but it's you know, it's, it's a cleaner representation. I think it works really well. I I, I totally dig it. And the, the point I was going to make was that I think they've done a beautiful job fixing the color and all of that for the original series. It's now time to do that with Next Generation. The Next Generation episodes look like ass. Uh, you know, only were- the first so many seasons, though. I mean, you could really tell if you're watching them. That by the end the technology had improved greatly. Well, so I watch a bunch of them on, uh, you know, on syndication now, right. and you can tell those first couple seasons it just doesn't look right. But by uh, by seven or you know by season seven or so, it looks you know like it could stand up to modern day TV shows. Well, true. I mean, they they certainly got better at shooting. You know, you got to remember that Next Generation was their first foray into shooting this kind of thing on video versus film. And so it took them a while to figure out the lighting and, and, and the effects and all that kind of fun stuff. And really for, for digital video cameras to graduate to something at a more professional type of grade. But uh, it really would benefit from a digital cleanup because, wow. <laughs> wow. So anyway, I am, I, I, I am so glad I've got a long weekend to watch the ass out of some Star Trek. Woohoo! <laughs> Well, I, I, I have heard that the next generation, they are looking at um, upgrading the special effects, doing the same type of thing. Um, I think that would be great. But, you know, I mean, it, it's going to require a, a decent amount of money because everything was filmed on video, right. um, that type of thing. Well, and it's seven years worth of uh, shows versus the three for uh, the original series. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a lot more episodes to touch. But I think it's worth it. I mean, you know, I, I really do think that the uh, original series episodes just look beautiful with the uh, HD redo. redo. Yeah. Well, the thing about Next Generation is that it was shot on film, but it was finished on video. Mm-hmm. So they they actually have to go back to the original film. But I mean, like, I mean, with enough sales and enough drive, I think they're waiting to see how Netflix does. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also heard that you know there might be an announcement coming come Comic Con time around it. So. Oh yeah would be interesting yeah well you know one of the things you know as a big star trek geek i was happy to see that the that the twitters were alive yesterday alive 
with Star Trek buzz. I just it was it was nice to see. It's nice to know you're not alone, Aaron. Alone. It, it is. It's nice to know. <laughs> Since none of y'all watched Star Trek yesterday, I okay. So I, I haven't had, had a day chance off. yet. I wa- <laughs> you know, I, Wayne, I don't want to hear your whine. Oh, I'm moving. I don't have time. I got to unpack a box. Where are your priorities, Wayne? I watched the setting up the re- setting up the uh, sound system so I could record this morning. Ah. <laughs> I, so Paul, <laughs> I, I mean, I took off the day. I took off the day from work to watch Star Trek on Netflix. Uh-huh. I mean, I was a little less motivated once I found out DS Nine wasn't going to be part of the the initial launch. Right. Um, but, you know, so I got up, and I'm like, uh, let me go get a haircut. So I got a haircut, and then I ran some errands, and then I got home, and I turned on my PlayStation. Um, or I, no, I was watching videos online. <clears throat> naked and videos? Naked, no, no, totally clothed videos. Oh. Um, but, you know, one of my favorite video games of all time is Uncharted, the Uncharted series for the PlayStation. Right. And so Uncharted 3 is due out this November, and right now they're doing the multiplayer beta on it but you know you need to have either bought a video game or be a member of playstation plus in order to access it well because of the big playstation fuck up with the hacking and all that uh playstation plus is free for a month Mm. so i signed up for free and then i downloaded the uh the beta and now i'm part of the multiplayer beta for uncharted 3 and once i once i turned that on it was all over I, I was done. <laughs> I, there, was, there, was, there was no Star Trek happening yesterday. I'm out. I sucked. I sucked really bad at it, and uh, I feel like people were getting pissed off at me. But you know, Tim, you need to download it when you get back from your vacation. Uh, PlayStation Plus. I don't know. That sounds like a lot of effort. Free. free. Well, plus, well, you I mean, do you download it just to have Paul, you know not be available yes. take forever. <laughs> I mean he's, yeah. what's he doing he's dicking the dog that's what he's doing he's dicking the dog <laughs> uh, that's what I'm gonna do <laughs> I'm gonna that's what I do I, you know, I convince people to do stuff and then I back out exactly that well, does all move uh, Uncharted 3 is gonna be is gonna be purchased this year there's no there's no, there's no doubt so we got that to look forward to anyways Fine, I will play the multiplayer beta without you. That's fine. You should, you know, maybe then when I actually get it, you'll have a chance. Then. Well, I, I got, I got to say, you know, Star Trek streaming yesterday got me to renew my Xbox Live account because I haven't had time to play in forever. So, you know, Landreth was giving me hell a few weeks ago. I'm like, when, when was the last time you were on? So. I'm well, I don't know. Some of us do podcasts from time to time. Maybe. From time to time, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or listen to podcasts. <laughs> but, um, so, you know, I, I don't want to go too deep into this, because we've been talking about the relaunch, the DC relaunch, for like a month now. And, you know, oh. Tim's going to have an aneurysm. Round well, three, fight! Well, <laughs> and according to Dan DiDio, this June, this this past June... DC made comics history, you know, about the reboot. If the reboot ends up being a success, it will be comics history, I think. And I just meant since Crisis on Infinite Earths. I don't. I don't necessarily disagree, but it's kind of disingenuous for him to be like, for him to be the one spouting that first, you know. 
Yeah, well, not only that, is it really history if it's like last month? That's not, I mean, I, I get it's in the past, but I wouldn't necessarily refer to it as history. That's like saying we made history by releasing the first episode of Knights of Rainsboro. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> history made. Done. Oh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> so, uh, DC, you know, sent out this letter to retailers this week. Uh, you know, they're, they're really kind of doing this big push, um, allowing retailers on 41 of the titles, they can return whatever they don't sell. Um, and the 41 are pretty much the ones that other than the big 10, you know, like the action comics and Superman and Batman and justice league, things like that. And on those, they have other incentives like variant covers and higher end discounts, things like that. Now they're encouraging comic shops to get in on it, do midnight sales, things like that. Um, so my comic shop sent out an email this week and, and it's, it's a little long, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to read it as quickly as possible. Okay. Let me see. How does he start it? Can Comic you, can fanatics. You, can you do it in your British voice? No. <laughs> Cheers. That's about <laughs> it. <laughs> All right. Comic fanatics. As I'm sure most of you have heard by now, DC Comics is changing in a dramatic fashion. Beginning this September, DC will relaunch all of their comics with new creative teams, updated costumes, and even some changes to enhance or to character origins and continuity. Continuity. Um, I think this is a great time to be a comics fan. DC wants to continue to ensure their comics are appealing to readers old and new, which is something I think we can all get behind. I just hope these comics are packed with fun and remind us all why we love them so much. All told, there will be 52 new number one issues, which is why I'm writing today. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Um, I'm hooked. Is this going to be a serialized letter, or is, is this where we leave off now and then we come back next oh, no. week? <laughs> no, there, there, there's more. There's more. It's not done yet. There is oh. to be continued at the end. Okay. <laughs> comics ordered two months. Ahead, comics are ordered two months ahead of time, and I base our orders on our subscription list because of the unprecedented relaunch. I'm hoping you guys will take the time to look over the list of new DC comics and decide which titles you'd like to sign up for, or first issues you want to try out. All of your current DC comic subscriptions will end the last week in August, so make sure you're not caught without your favorite books in your box. <laughs> um, Vertigo licensed books and DC kids books are not affected by the change. Blah, blah, blah. All right. I've attached a DC relaunch guide with solicitations and cover images for all 52 issues. You'll find a list on the last page where you can pick which books you like, print it off, and bring it in next time you're here. Simple and easy. You're also welcome to email me your list at this address, or if you're linked to the store through Comixology, add your books there as usual. These comics look great, and I'm, I'm excited to read them, as you are. Uh, but I wanted to sweeten the pot a little and offer you guys a couple of incentives to try these new books. Ooh, incentives. First, I'm standing behind all of the number one issues with a money-back guarantee. That's right. If you buy a comic and hate it, bring it back within two weeks of purchase with a receipt, and I will give you store credit, no questions asked. Second, if you feel so bold as to purchase all 52 number one issues in the month of September, you'll be entered to win a $200 gift certificate. Our orders for September are due July 20th, so let me know something before then. If you have any questions at all, shoot me an email. Uh, thanks again. You all rock, and I look forward to hearing what all of you think about the new DCU. So, uh, Paul? Much... Yes? I assume you're getting all 52 issues now. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. So, first of all, yes. <laughs> I was going. I was not going to. I had a list. I mean, we you know we talked about our list, and I said I was probably going to buy about 
26 of them, 27, something like that. Roughly about half of them. But now? But now with the money-back guarantee. And the thing is, knowing that the retailer can return them to DC, I know I'm not screwing my comic shop by returning them to the comic shop either. Right. Um, it, I might. I might. I, I, I really might pick up the first issue of all 52 just to, to give them all a shot. And if they suck, I can just bring them back. But the thing, you know, but like I'm, I'm in a hard place here because, I mean, yeah, we've all looked over the lists, but some of them I wouldn't actually pull. I'd just be interested, and I go into the comic shop and look at them. Right. But you know, now we're in a situation where I I should probably decide by July twentieth if I'm actually going to pick up the first issue of that series because there may not be enough copies in stock. Yeah. So what do you guys think about that? I mean, like I, I don't, I I know your comic shops don't necessarily have the the email the customer uh, mentality that, that that this guy does. Well, this is local heroes, right? Yes. Okay. Well, I I think he is uh, he's doing exactly what he ought to be doing. You know, he is. He's got a creative way to market. He is explaining how I don't know how what you guys are interested in because this is all so different and, it, and he it's unprecedented to use his word. Um, I think he's he's doing exactly the right thing. I'd I'd like to see more shops doing that. And you know, as we talked about last week, I think that uh, you know the guys who really embrace this and you know embrace the uh, the change, embrace the 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 digital. These are going to be the guys who succeed in in this new market. Yeah, I'm actually amazed. My shop hasn't sent an email about that. All they send tend to send us emails about are you know sales and stuff. But then again, maybe they don't have as many suckers as uh, Paul Shop does. <laughs> now, you know, I, I think it's great that he's got he's doing something to encourage people to buy all 52 of those those new issues. You know, even if I was interested in all 52 of those new titles, I couldn't buy them because I just wouldn't have time to read them. I mean, that's that's 52 books, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's over of, the course of a month. Yeah, but, almost, but, but if you're still reading your Marvel books. That's a whole lot of time. That's a whole lot of commitment in reading. Okay, so and here's let's the face thing. it: some of these fifty-two look really bad. Yeah, but I mean, you can return them. But you have if you read them within two weeks, you can return them if they suck. And the like I said, the comic shops can basically return them to the you know to Diamond or whoever. But now, you know. Paul, yeah, do you do you think you'll use this credit? I mean, if you return it, you get store credit. Do you think you'll use that credit? Well, here's the thing. I'll use the credit. That's, <laughs> oh, that's yeah. not a problem. <laughs> that's not a problem because I mean, the way that uh, Local Heroes works is his is his entire system is computer based. It's not like he writes it on a post-it note and just has to remember. It's in his system. The system automatically credits you. Oh, you see, at my shop, it is a post-it note. Yeah, <laughs> in your shop, you have to get that shit tattooed on your forehead so you don't forget. Uh, also, if you return it, will he stand there over your shoulder looking at you? You returning well, that? I would imagine I, I would hope not because he made the offer. It's not like I'm just returning a comic book. He made the offer to be able to return it. My well, main concern is would I return it? Like I'm I'm not the type of guy like I'll return something that's completely broken, but I hardly ever return something just because I don't like it. I mean, I, don't, I think you should feel free to return it this time. I mean, with the the free return back to DC, he's not going to be out anything. So yeah, I would totally. I, I and uh, under that circumstance, I would totally return a book that I didn't enjoy. Yeah, and I, I would also hold them to the to the fire on on editorial issues. You know, things where we pointed out that you know a whole page is missing. You know, where where uh, you know the editing is bad. The the you know they misspelled words. You know, yeah, I'd return it. Well, and Paul, he knows you do a podcast, doesn't he? 
you've talked yeah. to him about that. You could always tell him, look, this is what I'm thinking. Are you are you cool with that? Because I might bring back 20 of these suckers. Yeah. Well, not only that. Good thing about it is, you know, there's also the incentive of possibly being entered into one $200 gift certificate. Oh, yeah. Because how many people are going to buy all 52? We're talking maybe 10. Yeah. Out of 100. Well, I think he has 100 pulls. Yeah, but, you um, know, the, the question is, is when is he going to do the drawing? Is he going to do it at the end of the month after all 52 have come out, and then he pulls your name out if you've returned them? <laughs> is he yeah, keeping the real, that kind of math? That's a good point. The real question is, how many people like Paul does he have? Because they're the only ones that are going to buy all 52. That's right. you got to have crazy mad Paul Aponte money for this. That, this is true. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm, I'm seriously considering it. Because, I mean, you know, you never know. Uh, I, there may be a good title that I'm just not, you know, the, the concept doesn't intrigue me. I mean, there are some like Stormwatch. I have, you know, Stormwatch is not a property I'm typically interested in. But what if it's well written and I missed out on it because, you know, I wrote it off without investigating it first? I still I dislike this being brought into the DC universe. I say charge forward, Paul Aponte, charge forward. And, you know, worse comes to worse. And by charge, he means use your credit card. it's charge Um, there's always a you know free funny book day 2012 so get half of the dc relaunch title from last october well you know we, we we know that in september we can return some comics i wonder if there are any books this week that we might want to return <laughs> so why don't we start off with Amazing Spider-Man number 664 um, the final part of the Ghost of Jean DeWolf or no is that her name? Yes. The Wraith. The Wraith. The uh, it's the Ghost of Jean DeWolf, The Wraith, The Return of Anti-Venom, Part 2 Revelation Day. Um, written by Dan Slott, art by Giuseppe Kimunkali. What'd you guys think of this issue? This is the only book we all read this week. I did not want to return it. I I loved it. I like seeing Eddie Brock have a very good handle on uh, how people see him. He showed a lot of self-awareness. Like, God, everybody thinks I am a screw-up psychopath. And he worked to help reverse that in at least a few people's minds. I I love that character development. I enjoyed it, but I thought there were a a lot of things being wrapped up all in one issue. It seemed like there was a lot going on. I was surprised at how much they wrapped up in this issue. It, 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 uh, I'm so used to stories just being drug out, you know, and, you know, teasing and teasing and teasing. And for them to, to wrap up, you know, the whole, you know, Captain Gene DeWolf, you know, uh, identity issue. And then for them to reveal what they revealed about Carly and the, the the scene at the very end between you know Peter and Carly, I was just rather surprised by all of that. But probably not as surprised as I was to find out that Spider Man can make his face sticky. Yeah, oh, that was interesting. <laughs> it makes sense. They've always said his whole body can be sticky. We've just never seen him do it. It opens up all sorts of disturbing possibilities. <laughs> yes, it does. You know, my my favorite part of the book was was the. The, the reveal about how how intelligent Carly is uh-huh. like we knew she was smart because she was a, you know she was in CSI right but we didn't know she was like detective kind of smart right like that kind of smart and if I were Peter I would be like oh damn 
because it's it's going to happen. You know, she's going to she's going to lock on to his trail at some point now because yeah. she's proven that she's she's you know, she has that kind of mind. And and you know, on the one hand, I appreciate that he didn't tell her, you know, that he that that, that he's being a little bit more judicious these days with people he tells, you know, about a secret identity. But you know, on the other hand, just like man, if there was ever an opportunity to come clean with her, that was it. Yep. So that's when she oh. discovers it on her own, she's going to be so resentful. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, we we have just seen, you know, what's going to unravel that uh, relationship. So, but yeah, I love it. I, I loved the dialogue between Anti Venom and Spider Man, and that whole, you know. Uh, anti-venom goes leaping out of the the building and says i'll show you i'll show everybody and you know spider-man's like right because only super sane people storm off yelling i'll show everybody (laughs) (laughs) you know i used to love venom but i just i don't care for this anti-venom i i don't know if it's i don't like the way he looks i don't like the overly crazy eddie brock but i have to say the uh my favorite point in this entire book was after Peter spent hours trying to get out of this goo, he finally breaks free of anti-venom's webbing goo, whatever it is, uh-huh. just in time for anti-venom to return and nail him again. Yeah. And, well, and what I particularly like is, you know, Spider-Man really spends, you know, 90% of, the, of, of this issue bound where he can't do anything. And, you know, he spent the whole day wrapped up and his first comment after everything is settled is, boy, I've got to pee, <laughs> you know, where he's going to head off to the bathroom. Yeah. And I also enjoyed when, uh, you know, Eddie flew off with him uh, once he came to pick him back up with all the goo on and he asked Spider-Man, Hey, does Wolverine ever carry you into battle on his shoulders? <laughs> Dude, you really need a girlfriend. well and i read the the new days new ways to die i think Mm -hmm. is what it was called uh, and it was it was good again written by dan slott and that introduced anti-venom yeah but i haven't read anything with anti-venom since then now you know i feel really bad for martin lee you know well yeah uh now i i read the you know the, the the trade that paul just referred to you know however many ways to die um and uh, Martin Lee was in that, and he's in this. Does Mr. Negative possess Martin Lee, or are they actually the same person? I, I don't know. See, that's the thing. I, I mean, uh, is that know. a mystery that hasn't been, you know, uh, explained? Or It seems pretty clear after this issue that, you know, Martin Lee is unaware, or at least, you know, not in control when uh, Mr. Yeah. Negative is. Well, I just can't tell if he's, if he's like schizophrenic and he's got two different personalities you know kind of like uh, the sentry in the void mm-hmm. you know so I'm, I'm just i'm trying to figure out is is martin lee a sympathetic character or is he just a tragic character hmm. you know since they're keeping know. him around i'm wondering about that you know they got him all chained up in the little special room there it does suck to be martin lee though yeah yeah yeah, yeah. a little bit well, oh, you, you know, he, sh- he shouldn't have been possessed, dumbass. <laughs> That's really well, kind of Tim's take on the, on the yeah, Tim would have shot him in the face. <laughs> That's yeah, right. No, there's, there's no mercy for the weak. 
<laughs> you know, I got my uh, best deal through Amazing Spider-Man. I don't know if you guys saw, because I think you all picked up Big Time when it came out in floppies originally. But this week, they started re-releasing the Big Time storyline. Three issues, one floppy, five ninety nine. Oh, I hadn't seen that. I mean, nice. $6 for about, what is that, uh, $12 worth of book? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm enjoying rereading the, uh, or, sorry, reading for the first time the Big Time storyline. I find that rather telling that uh, Marvel is able to re-release that so quickly, and because I, mean, I, I don't think that's the first time they've done that with Big Time. You know, yeah, I, I don't think, think there's been a, a full size trade yet. Yeah, because I think they're still making money on the floppy resales. But I, I think it's great that the storyline has has enjoyed so much success that they can do that. That's terrific. Yeah, and I'm enjoying Felicia Hardy, who we haven't seen since I started picking up in weeklies. Oh, you've got a milk bath coming up, don't you? She's all over, uh, and I mean literally all over big time. <laughs> ah, delicious, delicious Felicia Hardy. Delicious, delicious <laughs> milk. <laughs> so, question for you guys before we move on from Amazing Spider-Man. Yes, sir. Because we've you know primarily spoken about the story. What did you guys think of the art? I loved it. It was did good. You- yeah, it was. Yeah, I like it. Uh, it the, he reminds me a lot of Sal Buscema, and I think that's why I like it. I definitely can't say I love the art, but the art's okay. The art doesn't take anything away from the story for me. Like you know, Umberto Ramos. Umberto Ramos. Ramos. Thank you. Okay, and let's like do it right. Umberto Ramos. <laughs> and you can you can find him lounging over at Chicas Locas. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess it's also the the big difference here is I know for you guys this is you guys all absolutely love this take on Spider-Man and this is the you know Dan Slott's version of Spider-Man is your Spider-Man at this point but for me I'm enjoying it and I like it but I wouldn't go so far as to say I love it it's not at all one of my favorite books of the the week when I get it I just enjoy it I still miss the like the 90s Spider-Man did anybody else notice that uh, uh, Christos Gage is, 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 is a co-writer in this? Yes, I did notice that. I'm wondering because it's not like, I don't know, it seemed pretty you know seamless to me. Well, I think what happens, and Fred Van Lente co-writes a lot of Amazing Spider-Man, too. So if you look through your issues, you'll see Fred Van Lente does a lot of it, too. Um one of the things Dan Slott was explaining to us when we interviewed him is that he writes comics the Marvel way. I don't know if you guys remember that from back in the 80s or the Stan, you know, or actually even before Stan Lee's the one who really kind of put it out there. The writer gives the plot to the artist. Artist puts together, you know, the all the pages, things like that. And when the writer gets the art back, he puts all the dialogue together. He then he comes up with the actual dialogue and script. Um so there are actually two steps there. There's plot and then there's script. And I think what's happening with some of these is that we're seeing Dan Slots doing the plot and Christos Gage or Fred Van Lente are doing the script. I think that's probably where the co-writing comes in. You know, but, I, mean, I could see that because I'm a big fan of Christos Gage's dialogue. And the dialogue in here, especially some of the conversations, is the best part of the book. I mean, yeah, Fred no, Van Lich, I, I, you can see his, you know, you can see his touch on some of the books too. He's, you know, he's got an overly humorous style, so I think some of the funnier issues you can definitely see Fred Van Lente in there. Right. Mm-hmm. No, oh. I, I, I'm thoroughly digging Amazing Spider-Man. So you notice, I, I, I looked back at my Amazing Spider-Man six fifty four point one. Uh huh. And uh, so the first panel from coming up in Amazing Spider-Man 
is anti-venom being stabbed by mr negative oh yeah yeah so i I remembered that when we read the book i'm like i wonder you know i was like let me double check and see if that's what it was and it was so you know some of the things that we got in this preview are, are finally starting to happen it looks like there's an outer space story coming, and of course, then there's the hint at Spider Island. Yeah. So pretty cool. You know, I, I like being able to to you know know that they they're actually going to fulfill the promise. Mm-hmm. Because recently, I was reading Justice League number zero. Do you guys remember that written by Brad Meltzer with Art yes. by Ed? Yes. Yeah. And they had all these things that they were promising would happen in the in the book, and the only thing that actually happened was Jonathan Kent dying. Yeah. Everything else in that book hasn't happened and isn't going to happen. Oh, when have. Justice Society did that, though, everything that they previewed over the next year always happened. That's because Jeff Johns was doing that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you know, and, and he's pretty good about that because he stays on the book long enough for it to happen, which right. is what didn't happen with Brad Miltzer. He stayed for twelve issues and then he left. Right. But uh, you know, I, I just I like that callback, so I'm looking forward to seeing some of this other stuff come to play. You know, it's kind of like Jim Lee not staying on the Justice League reboot. <laughs> which will happen <laughs> well, yeah the uh, dio confirmed uh with retailers at the dfw summit that he's only on for the first six books it's not really a surprise i don't know why anyone would expect otherwise really it's like expecting straczynski to finish his series oh burn, Ooh, burn JMS. <laughs> that that's hurtful <laughs> <laughs> so future foundation ff number five out this week and uh several of us read this book did all of us read this book everyone except tim okay well Uh sort of andrew's about to break hearts what well you know i was on vacation this week that means you had even more time to read comics right that's right so I went to my shop. I, you know, I wasn't there right at lunch. You know, I was out with my family. We had a nice lunch. Went to the pool. So, I, you know, I was there maybe two hours after they opened. I got there maybe about one thirty, two o'clock in the afternoon. So, of course, they'd already sold out. Because, mm-hmm. you know. Because what are the odds? And so I was like, well, you know, Marvel. Oh, no, they don't have same-day digital. I can't just go buy it there either. Yeah. So, yeah, El Camino strikes again. I'm sorry. It's kind of like Montezuma's Revenge, but a little more painful. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Day of Day Digital just so uh, Andrew will have something to talk about. Exactly. I'm telling you, I I wish Marvel would go to it. I can't wait for DC to start it. I I think it's a great idea for a back for nothing else, just for a backup for schmucks like me who's yeah. stop you know shop doesn't send out emails two months in advance asking you what you want. I agree. Oh. Well, you I missed out, Marvel- man, because I think this was the best part of this storyline yet. Yeah, it was good. Rub Tell us in. about it, Wayne. Rub it, in. it was awesome. It was the best <laughs> comic ever. This comic gave me fellatio. And, so you know. <laughs> well, and what was great was those three-page spread of uh, Sue Storm, full frontal nudity. <laughs> Fold out. Yeah, I don't know how they got away with that, but it was great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but go on and tell Rental advisory. <laughs> no. Tell us what really happened, Wayne. So this is the next part of the, uh, the storyline we've been reading all this time. And uh, we get to see Sue finally discover what Reed's done and that there's alternate Reeds. And I particularly like that she's able to tell pretty quickly that it's not her Reed. Uh, not quick enough until she gets a shot in the face. <laughs> yeah, not until she's right up there with them. And I love that they're able to create a weapon that can hurt her through her force field. I mean, if anyone could, it would be Reed. This is basically one big fight through the first half of the book. And then dealing with the the family, you know, 
fallout after that. And we finally see the uh, the Inhumans return at the end, ready to uh, to deal with all these alternate reads. Now, Aaron, right. when you say Reed shot in her face, what do you mean exactly? <laughs> well, it was after that three-page uh, nude spread. Uh, <laughs> he's holding his weapon in his hand, aims it right at her face, and lets go. <laughs> yeah. so wrong. Reed gave her a facial. Come on. <laughs> we're, such a, we're such a classy group of guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have seen, one of the coolest moments in this book for me, though, was uh, – when Alex Powers gets his hand, you know, his arm broken, that they actually injured one of the kids. But you see these big, giant crab-like creatures with the pincers. And every time I see something like that, I always think, you know, if they snap on something, it should break. But yeah. it never does until now when it actually breaks his arm when they snap onto it. Yeah, I, I, I dug this book. I, I particularly like some of the uh, uh, conversation between Sue and the Mole Man, you know, so she goes out there because the Mole Man is is out there with you know the the uh, other universes read, and she she talks to, to the Mole Man. She goes, "Well, hello, Harvey. Get lost. <laughs> Get lost and suddenly find yourself uh, in, in a cold and an uninviting place." And you know, she she wants to find out what uh, what uh, she has gotten her husband into. She says, "Well, Reed, are you going to explain how you got here and what you? Oh, wait, you're not my Reed." And the gunshot right in the face. <laughs> yeah, and I love right the mole man's motivation too. Yeah. That he there's actually a legitimate reason why he's doing what he's doing in this book. You know, he's he's afraid of losing his people to this uh, to the forever city. Right. So he's willing to you know aid these alternate reads if it means that he doesn't lose any more people. Right. Yeah, well, and I thought it tied in nicely to uh, the return of the Inhumans, and I really I can't wait to find out how Black Bolt came back. Yeah, because okay, so I have a question about that. Yeah, it says that's a Tillin. This world's Inhumans have returned to Earth. They're referring to 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 the Marvel universe, right? Correct. Okay, so I, I didn't know if they were trying to imply that it was an alternate universe Inhumans or what. Yeah, because. Black Bolt, yeah, he, 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 yeah. he was dead. Yeah. Yeah, he, he you know, died in uh, Thanos Imperative, right? Or right before Thanos Imperative. Uh, uh, Annihil- Didn't he die in one no, of the Annihilation? No, it was War of Kings. It was War of Kings, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we've, we, have, we have seen, you know, uh, Medusa mourning the loss of her husband. And we have seen, you know, there was a uh, I can't remember if this happened in Guardians of the Galaxy or not, but there was like an echo image of him in the fault. Uh, but uh, now it looks like he's back, so it'll be you'll be curious to see. You know, is he a scroll? You know, or is he out Again? of time? <laughs> so man out of time, man out of time, not 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 out of time. Ah! He is wearing uh, <laughs> golden shoulder pads too. I do it for you, Tim. I do it for you. <laughs> Oh, that makes it so worth it. <laughs> I show up to hear that. <laughs> you know what was interesting? That the artist actually made Sue's hair in the Arctic, like, different than it was, like, when she was back home. Uh-huh. I don't know why, but I, I, like, noticed that. I'm like, is it because it's cold? Like, it's so cold that her hair is curly, and when she's home, it's straight? I, I don't know why I noticed that, but it bugged me. I'm the only one who noticed that. Humidity plays hell with a woman's hair. 
I noticed the costumes. They went with the uh, the black version of the costumes while they were out in the field, and when they came back, the costumes turned white again. Well, so you're a, you're a better target against the uh, snow. <laughs> <laughs> you think Spider Man would have an issue with the black costume? Just saying. You think? Like, I, he already had an issue with the white costume, saying he looked like anti venom. You think he would say, "Oh, well, this makes me look like venom." Eh, he no. built a br- he, he built a bridge and got over it, Paul. I recommend, I recommend, I recommend you do the same. <laughs> Thanks, Tony Robbins. <laughs> or he realized his opinion doesn't matter on that team. They're not going to listen to him. That's he's, the ju- he's the junior member. <laughs> well, you know, when you have Dr. Doom on your team, pretty much anyone else's yeah. opinion doesn't really matter. Ain't that the truth? Yeah, I have to say, pissed off Sue looks so hot there. If I were pen and paper, <laughs> I'd hit that. <laughs> I would shoot all over that. Is that what you're trying to say? I would shoot her in the face. <laughs> face. <laughs> well, the good news is I should have my FF5 soon because I, I, so I swung by Barnes & Noble, you know, doing their whole big comic thing. And it looks like they're on about a week, maybe two weeks behind uh, the direct market stores. So they had four on the shelf. And so I, I expect five will be up in the next week or so. Do you see what you're doing to Andrew El Camino? Andrew is going to fucking Barnes and Noble to buy his shit. You know, I'll be honest. If Barnes and Noble had like uh, same day delivery that the direct markets do, I do all my shopping at Barnes and Noble because a I get a discount there, and b uh, I can get a latte and people are nice to me and uh, <laughs> it's clean. Have I mentioned it's clean? And no, no one's eating the hot dog right out of the package there at the yeah no baloney right out of the package making me want to puke. Uh, and they have shit. those nice chairs there where you can sit down and read the stuff you're not going to buy. And it's connected to other stores, so if I need to go by and pick up some, you know, God forbid, soap or something, because I like to stay clean. There's, it's right God there. God forbid, soap. <laughs> <laughs> you should so no. bring that to the attention of the manager, Barnes and Noble, and be like, you know, if you guys were a little bit faster, I would spend, I, I would throw money at you. Well, and I was there. I'd buy soap here. <laughs> I, was, I was there yesterday and picked up Secret Avengers Fear itself just based on Aaron's glowing review. Was that last week? I think yes. so. Yeah, last yeah. week. So, so they must be just a week behind because they had that Valkyrie issue on the on the shelf. I picked it, it up. Wasn't it hot? Oh, yeah. The part where she's like, most of you will die today. It was great. Yeah, that's, a, that's just a fantastic book. Oh, I wonder if DC is day and date with Barnes & Noble because they had that big thing. And if Marvel's just a week behind. I'm going to go investigate. Get yeah, on it, Paul. I might you know, check that out. Cub reporter Paula Ponte. Our man <laughs> on the street, Paula Ponte. This is what they call investigative reporting. Is it? You're just going to do a, little, a couple of little click in there? <laughs> yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go in costume. Uh-huh. And I'll put on my glasses, mild-mannered Paula Ponte. Mild-mannered. <laughs> <laughs> Mild- <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, I bought so many fucking DC books this week. You know, I, I, It'll be easy to spot any of them on the shelf because they'll all have Flashpoint. You know. So yeah, there's 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 it's just like a sea of flashpoint titles on that on that rack. And you know, I think we all agree the way to get more people in is to have it in visible places. So I'm all for giving money to Barnes and Noble for comics to help support their initiative to carry them on the shelf and maybe get more people into the hobby. Agreed. In terms of flashpoint comics this week, can we all agree that the cover to Green Arrow Industries one shot is freaking awesome? Oh yeah. Okay. Yes. Oh, yeah. I, it, that cover is just uh, it is just amazing. Early contender for cover of the year. Yeah. All right, I have a question, sir. About I'm going to go straight into my question before we review this book. 
So, is did anyone feel like their book was missing a page? Yes. Okay, yep. it wasn't just me. Yep. Nope. Because this guy's talking, huh. and all of a sudden they show him like dead. Yeah, I yep. mean, he's talking to Roy, and Roy's pitching him his big idea for uh, Green Arrow Industries. And because in the Flashpoint universe, Green Arrow is still an arms manufacturer. You know, Oliver Queen is an arms manufacturer under the uh, banner of Green Arrow Industries. And the the concept of the book is fantastic. His company goes bankrupt. He starts a new company, and he's going to do it with what? The captured technology of supervillains. So I, I, I thought that was a great idea. You know, why bother inventing it when you can just take it from the supervillains that you capture? Absolutely. And so Roy is telling him, because Roy is his chief of security in the organization, and Roy is telling him, you know, hey, you know, why can't we be a corporation with a conscience? You know, corporations are always seen as the bad guys. Why don't we be the good guys? And it goes right from that page to everybody's dead. <laughs> See, yeah. I took it to be that that was uh, basically a flashback. He was remembering that, and then it jumps right into the, the regular story because it looks like a different room that he's in there. But, you know, it starts off with 11 months ago, but it never gives you any sense that you've moved forward in time. I mean, yeah, that, so that page disjunct. should have said now on it. Yeah, it was just very jarring. Yeah, I, I, I literally, you know, I swiped at that page like four or five times. I'm like, yeah. are they stuck together? Yeah. Did I miss the explosion? Because, I mean, everyone's dead. It looks like an explosion happened. Yeah. So, no, I mean, this can't be a flashback because uh, if you look at the first page, he's doing his presentation for the generals. After the strike team hits, he talks about how they killed all the generals. It's the same day. It's not a flashback. Yeah. Because it uh, goes. It was spectacularly bad editing. Um. <laughs> I, I, I do. I feel like there's a page missing. Yeah. But well, I, are you, oh, go ahead. Or if there's not a page missing, I maybe they did that deliberately, just, you know, take you straight from from you know the setup to, to everybody's dead, but you know, I think that if they made that choice deliberately, that's a bad choice to make. Well, if they Absolutely. just had an explosion on the page, I would have gotten it. You know, you didn't or, need to work that hard. Yeah, or a noise or you know, him you know on that last panel where Roy's going, Well, you know, you have it in you to do something inspiring, Ollie, and, and I'm going to watch you do it. And they could have just added, wait, what's that? <laughs> you know, that would have been enough to, to tell you. Well, because yeah, you look you look at the next page and dudes have arrows to give them everywhere. Yeah. I mean, the you security know, I, guards are all down with multiple arrows. Point, they look like pin cushions. But, I you know, like the cut, though, from that scene. The And I'm going to watch you do it. And then the next page, he's dying. I think that was a that was a powerful cut. Yeah, it, it would have been better if it would if it would say like later that day or something, because there obviously there is a time jump there that but it's got to be the same day. You're right, because they mentioned the the generals being there. Yeah, it, I, it could be. Yeah, it could be like an hour later. But yeah, it's I like the impact of that, though, him saying I'm going to watch you do it and then him being dying on the next panel. I, I, I get what you're saying. I just it needed it, more. It needed more explanation. Yes, it needed a something that says later that day or something. But I see what they were trying to go for there. Yeah, that I just concept. don't think they did it very well. I, I, I do. I do sense, you know, what, what uh, the, the power, the moment they were going for. It just wasn't very effective. I, I do like that next page, though, when, uh, you know, he's holding the green bow in his in his hand. And then he looks over to the the vault of evildoers oh. equipment. And he <laughs> throws the bow away. 
I, I gotta say, other than this, that jarring, I mean, and it was very jarring, that, that you know, that transition, I, I enjoyed this issue. Yeah. This I wish was, it was my second shot. favorite, I say, this is my second favorite tie-in to Flashpoint so far. The only book that I've enjoyed more than this was World of Flashpoint. Well, I, I particularly enjoyed the moment where Ollie realizes he's not firing Pied Piper's gun, but he's using Heatwave's gun. He <laughs> set the jungle on fire. <laughs> he's just smart, that Oliver Queen. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like it because it shows how careless he is. Yeah. You know, he, he just – that's how careless he is. He's, he's shooting, and he doesn't even realize he's set the entire forest on fire yeah. like a dumbass. Yeah. I love the comment. I couldn't shoot a bow and arrow if my life depended on it. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's practically, you know, I mean, just all of eight feet from her and he misses. Yeah. Yeah. So. Now that th- this is a great tie in and, and much like Paul, I'm sorry. It's just a one shot. Cause it, yeah. was, it was good. I, you know, this is, this is, uh, the second book that they've done. Cause Grot of war was a one shot that, that we've all wished were, uh, was going to be a longer, uh, run on that. I would have liked to have seen more of this, but hopefully that just means we'll see him elsewhere. Um, The the uh, again, the the cover art is just amazing. Uh, Thoroughly love the cover. Um, And, you know, the uh, the writing by Porn Sack Pistachio is uh, is uh, pretty amazing. (laughs) Porn Sack. Uh, I I think that's I think I think, Aaron, that's Porn Sack. Pick a shoot. Oh, is it? Pick a it's not porn sack pistachio. No, I think it's porn sack pursuit. Aaron, I, I like yours. I'll vote for your your saying. Um, I, I don't care how it's pronounced. That's you know that's my new favorite writer just based on his name. <laughs> I will follow this guy anywhere. <laughs> well, you know, and and you've got uh, Marco Castiello who did the uh, the pencils for pages one through five, and <laughs> no lie here, Ig Guara. Who did pages six through twenty? Vincenzo Acunzo did the inks on pages one through five, and Rui <laughs> Rui Jose for pages <laughs> six through twenty. Just keep going down, Aaron, because the rest of them. <laughs> Stephanie Rene, Carlos M. Mangual. Ooh, I like that one. I am Mangual. Um, Victor Calvacci. Who did the cover? Two. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that, the, the cover is just amazing. So yay on Victor. Um, Kate Stewart, assistant editor, and Joey Cavalieri for editor. I, so now looking, looking at those oh, names, good. Good. which one I of those wish. names does not match the others? One of these things <laughs> is not like the other. Which one is <laughs> Kate Stewart? <laughs> yep. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm just glad they actually hired an American for this for, you know, you know Independence Day. Thanks, thanks, DC Comics. You don't know that one Kate, gal from- you don't know that Katie Stewart is, uh, you know, uh, of American descent. She could be an immigrant. Given, she, could be en- given, she could be English, given Irish. Those, given those options, I'm I'm doubling down. That that's the one person <laughs> from America. Well, I'd like to see more from Porn Sack Pistachio. That's all I'm. <laughs> I'm sure you would. (laughs) Look, I want more porn sack as well. (laughs) When you want to write a story about the evils of the industrial military complex, you obviously go to a dude named Porn Sack. Porn Sack Pistachio. Or perhaps you go to Schlagman when you want to read about Hal Jordan. Adam Schlagman. Schlagman. Adam Schlagman. (laughs) I'm Schlagman. 
Adam Schlagman, get in here. Give me Schlagman on the phone right now. <laughs> Don't call me chief. Schlagman. What jackass let you write a book, Schlagman? You did, sir? Oh. Well, I'm sure I had a good reason. Get out of here. I, you know... Flashpoint's worth it just for the writer names. <laughs> it really is. You know, this is what happens when DC's hold, getting all of their talent caught up. You know, when they're like, hey, we're going to take all of our big talent. We're going to get them ahead on books for the upcoming relaunch. And we're going to hire any schmo off the street to write all our Flashpoint tie-ins. But I have to admit, I mean, I, I don't want to say these guys aren't talented. I don't mean to imply that because... I've liked almost every Flashpoint tie-in I've read. Almost. You know, I, I imagine the conversation goes like this. You know who we need for this book? We need Ass Rape. Get me Ass Rape. That's Azrape. <laughs> <laughs> and get me Porn Sack. That's... Porn Sack. <laughs> <laughs> There's no other way to pronounce that one. That's no. Right. I stared at it for a while. There's no other way to get around. He, that dude's name is Porn <laughs> Apparently, he directed two movies, Color of Doubt and Urban Fable, and Women Who Eat Meat. Oh, yeah. That, that sounds like it fits. <laughs> no, but well, here's the resume that I can sign off on. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, I mean, I'm kind of with Paul. These people who are not the top tier talent, think about the tie-ins for Fear Itself. Think about the tie-ins for oh, Blackest yeah. Night. And think, th those were you know, relatively big-name people doing it. They were horrible. But here we go. We've got, I don't know, call them the second string writers and people we've never heard of. And they're doing a great job because I can't think of a single tie-in for Flashpoint that I haven't enjoyed. Well, because they, some of these guys they need have to never... give these guys another shot. Well, yeah. And, and because some of these guys I've never heard of before, it's not necessarily that they are, you know – uh, the B team or whatnot, it's almost like they're rookies. It's almost like, you know, hey, let's come out and try out a couple of books and see if we can give you something else on the other side. I mean, uh, certainly, you know, the uh, you know, porn sack pistachio, I'm very interested to see more from him. And <laughs> and I picked up the Hal Jordan book, not thinking that I was going to enjoy it, but I picked it up because I was curious. And hey, you know, when it's got a name like Schlagman on it, it's got to be good. Schlagman <laughs> <So, laughs> means quality. The history of porn stack, he actually normally does editing. The history of porn stack. Porn stack is the editor of Sweet Tooth and Unwritten. Two very good books. I think you broke Tim Wayne. Uh, just a little flash fact. His name is Dan DeDio, but I picture Danny DeVito in all his taxi glory just running DC comics. I can see it. Yeah. Go on with your bad and selves. And Jeff Johns is played by Latka. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, Wayne, you're right. Those are two really good books. Yeah. That this is the first thing editing. This is the first comic he's ever written, but he's edited a bunch of books that we all love. I'm sorry, are we talking we about Slagman or Pornsack? Pornsack. I don't know how we never noticed that name before with you know looking at the editing, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, we probably looked over it because we didn't want to try to pronounce it. And then, uh, but on this book, you didn't have any choice. You had to try to pronounce someone's name badly. You know, he's right up top. They're pretty porn sack right out in front. But you know, when you meet this guy, this guy's got to be like a fucking ninja, you know, because <laughs> you you learn to fight like immediately with a name like porn sack. 
I mean, he has been getting his ass kicked since he was, you know, in first grade, kindergarten, preschool, in the womb. He was probably a twin, and in the womb he was taking a beating. He so, probably choked his other twin to death with his umbilical cord. <laughs> if, I was, if I was Dane DeVito, porn sack, the only way, way he gets this job is if he has the full Tom Selleck porn stash. <laughs> like, oh, hire you for a sec, but only only if you got that you know one of those mustaches that women can grab and ride like a handlebar <laughs> and and lots of man jewelry. <laughs> yes. What do you think porn sex twins name was? Was it porn stash? Porn balls? <laughs> <laughs> no, Steve. <laughs> Steve. Steve pistachio. <laughs> it's not pistachio. You guys are horrible. But anyway. <laughs> That's the kind of name you put at the end of a Dear Penthouse forums. <laughs> Sack. <laughs> uh, All right, so, I, so Aaron, tell us about how why you loved Hal Jordan. I, I won't say that I loved it. Um, I enjoyed liked, it. Enjoyed yeah. it mildly. And I'll say that uh, the Hal Jordan of the Flashpoint universe is not altogether different than the Flashpoint of our universe. Yeah. Uh, the, I gotta say, that's the problem I had with the book. Yeah, uh, the... Uh, what I liked about it, and it was the depiction of uh, of, uh, and I'm, I'm suddenly drawing a blank on it. Was that King Shark that was attacking the the, the plane? Yes, King Shark. Um, I just thought he was just drawn beautifully. Um, absolutely loved just that that big page where he, you know, King Shark attacks Hal Jordan's uh, uh, fighter. Um, what? Is interesting about the the flashpoint turn with with Hal Jordan is that it looks like you're actually going to get a Green Lantern origin out of him, or you're going to see a Green Lantern origin that goes horribly awry. Because you know, at the very end of this book, very much like in you know regular DC continuity, he runs into Abin Sir. Um, so I, what I liked about it is I'm wondering if we're going to get to see his origin unfolds similar to the DC universe proper, but how that affects flashpoint or if we're going to see it go wildly divergent. Well, I got to be honest. I think it's going to go wildly divergent because there is an Abin Sur series and the Abin, the first issue of Abin Sur ends where the first issue of this one does. Ah, okay. And there's three issues of Abin Sur and it's called Abin Sur, the green lantern. So I'm pretty sure he's not going to die, which is good (laughs) because I like that tie in. Yeah, so I, you know, I think these two are going to tie together, but I don't think Hal Jordan will end up being a Green Lantern. I think he might end up helping Abin Sur. Sure, maybe. So maybe um, he'll so be Abin Sur's sidekick. Yeah, because it, it is it is very different, um, and I think it, I think it'll end up being very different. But this first issue, you know, that was one of the qualms I had with it is that it literally was the exact same origin, except for the you know the tiger or king shark showing up for a couple of pages, but same general principle behind you know the character and it it wasn't as wildly divergent as some of the other books you know the the one thing that i thought was uh ill-advised for uh, hal jordan and carol ferris in this book is they they had to destroy both of their planes to you know take uh king shark out and you know atlantis or you know the the aquaman and his atlanteans or whatever are at war with everybody and they ditch out of their aircraft over the ocean where Tiger Shark had just come from. So I, I would be worried bailing out of my plane that I'm going to land in the water where, you know, 
the Atlanteans are. Yeah. So I, the whole time I was going, ooh, this doesn't seem like a really good idea. And of course they didn't pick that up. And I, you know, you clearly see that, you know, Jordan and Ferris make it back, but that seemed like something that would have been a concern to me if they had, you know, assigned uh, King Shark out to go do some harm. Perhaps there might be some other guys in the water. So, so, so what I'm hearing, Hal Jordan's going to be a uh, goose to Alvin Sir's Maverick. There you go. So th- there's going to be a volleyball scene in issue two. Well, and there's going to be some singing. Oh Which yeah, also, you know. <laughs> it's you're, Kelly you can see Alvin, you can see Alvin Sir say to to Hal, you know what? I think she's lost that love and feeling. Uh, Carol Ferris fills in for Kelly McGillis perfectly. Yes, exactly. You're dangerous, Ivan. No, you're dangerous, Jordan. <laughs> oh, I can't well, wait. Ivan, sir, you're writing checks your body can't catch. <laughs> <laughs> well, then when he finds Ivan, sir, dead, he'll be able to really gloat about that. Hey. Told you. Give me that ring. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe Sinestro could, be, could take the role of Iceman. No, Sinestro is is the Russian Migs that Avinster is gonna have to turn upside down and take a picture of. <laughs> uh, I can do this all day. You guys know Slagman, this is great shit. <laughs> you know, you, you guys know how I told you a little while ago how I how I'd enjoyed every Flashpoint tie-in I'd read so far. Uh-huh. That that may have come to an end with the next book we're gonna talk about, which was Flashpoint Project Superman, one of three. Okay. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I dislike it or if I'm just confused. I found it a little confusing, so I'm curious to hear what you have to say. So, uh, you know, the flash fact for this—you don't get a lot of of stuff in the solicits. Basically, talk about how they—it's called Project Superman. They experimented on 30 years. So it starts out with this guy, probably in the 1980s, volunteering for this project. He's turned into a super bean, and they're combining some sort of alien DNA with his own. But it seems to end with a baby Kryptonian crash landing on the planet Earth. That's actually why I didn't buy the book. I picked it up and I was expecting the same thing you were, that there was a baby Superman DNA being mixed with someone. Or the baby Superman had grown up and they'd experimented on him all this time. Right. But he's not in there at all until the last page. Yeah, so I'm wondering, who who are they mixing with this guy? Who's this guy going to be? Why does every super-powered hero, when they get out of control, get the crazy hair that flies straight up and spikes? I mean, I just why is he you know, destroying luchadors at one point in the book? I don't, I don't quite understand it. I might pick this series up with book two now that baby Superman's actually there, but that, I was very disappointed. It wasn't at all what I thought it was going to be. So what do you think, Aaron? Well, I, I was having kind of the same problem because I I had made the assumption that I hadn't flipped to the end of the book when I when I read it. I was I was reading it in a linear fashion, so I had <laughs> I had made the assumption that uh, you know they they had you know captured some, you know Superman's Kryptonian DNA from when he was a child, and that was how they were they were making these changes because it seemed to me like uh, it seemed like they were doing some callbacks to like Superman Blue, Superman Red. With you know all the energy applications to him, um, you know I th- some of the things that I that I thought were interesting were you know like the Bay of Pigs issue or what, what looked like they were getting into the Bay of Pigs, uh, you know because it seemed like they were hitting Cuba and Castro and all that kind of fun stuff, but the timing was a little off on it, and so it's kind of hard to determine what it was where they were setting the book, you know because it'd say thirty years ago and then it seemed like some things were happening that were a little bit more current. But 
you know, I think they're trying to keep a whole bunch of mystery here, but I, I just I feel like I need a more a firmer foot in this book setting to really engage into the mystery because it's no fun when you're in a mystery when you're when when you're just trying to figure out what the hell is going on with this guy. I did like the reveal of the of the uh, you know Kryptonian rocket ship with you know little Clark's uh, hands coming out at the very end of the book, but it was a little far to go. So I don't know that I'm going to pick up Project Superman number two. Yeah, I'm not it, sure. It, I mean, there are some interesting parts, but but, but Paul, what do you think? <laughs> I didn't dislike the book. I just I don't know. Like I didn't care. That's the thing. I, I just didn't care. I didn't like any of the characters. I didn't find it overly... There wasn't enough to really draw me in. Um, now, because it, it was a rather generic storyline. Okay, yeah, someone gets superpowers and goes crazy. Like, I haven't seen that before. <laughs> you know. I, but the problem is, it does get interesting in the introduction of, you know, Kal-El Clark Kent at the end of the book. So I, I, I might actually pick up issue two just to see where they're going with it, you know, because if this guy's the villain of the piece or, you know, whatever, I'm, I'm, I am curious to see, you know, how is it going to pan out? Um, so I might pick up issue two. I, I wasn't thrilled with issue one, uh, but, you know, it, well, I, I'm, I didn't hate it. Yeah. I mean, it's only a two ninety nine book, so. Well, and that's why I've been willing to jump on so many of these Flashpoint books. You know, you guys, uh, Wayne and Paul, spoke so highly of, of the first couple of issues of Flashpoint that I jumped into it thinking I'd try it out, and I've, I've kind of I've dug most of what I've read. I this book's confusing. I'm, I'm having a hard time placing like when this capsule lands in Metropolis. Yeah, because that you know, are they supposed to? Are they trying to give the impression that that's now? See, and I don't think so because he's talking about it in past tense. You know, that's when fate intervened. Above in Metropolis, the crash of meteors signaled the arrival of someone who could help me. All I would need to do was wait. After all, timing is everything. Yeah, um, but you're right. The Bay of Pigs was not 30 years ago either. So, and they specifically refer to it. Yeah. The Bay of Pigs yeah. was like 50 years ago. Yeah. So that's why I was thinking, you know, 30 years before the introduction, before Clark Kent lands on Earth. Okay, yeah. I oh, wait. that. Wait, wait, wait. It's it's 30 years ago from when he's telling the story. So it was 50 years ago from today. He's 20 years ago telling the story about what happened 30 years ago. So it's it's 1990 for him right now. Uh, and he's hanging out there. So he's talking about 30 years ago, Bay of Pigs happened. This is entirely far too much. No, math. no. No, no, because – well, it is. You're right. They should make it more clear. Because that way, when we get to present day, Superman will be 20-ish. Right. <laughs> it's definitely well, the least interesting tie-in I've read so far. Uh, I wouldn't go that far because Secret Seven was pretty damn awful. I didn't read that. Well, I was jazzed by the appearance of the Kryptonian rocket ship at the very end, but that was really the only thing that I that I dug about this book. Yeah, so I'm, I am curious to see where it goes. I, I just looked at the cover for issue three, and it does show this knockdown, dragout battle between a dark-haired, super-powered being, which I would imagine is, you know. Kal-El, uh, you know, against this, uh, you know, Akira-looking guy with the spiky white hair. But, uh, yeah, we'll does see. He, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick up issue two. And does Kyle look like he's in his, his early 20s? Yes, he does look very young. Now, I mean, but not every book, not every Flashpoint tying could be the same quality as the Canterbury Cricket. Oh, God, Paul. I, 
<clears throat> I, I, I hated this book. <laughs> I, I, this book was terrible. Shocker. God. God. I hated this book. <laughs> Why did you buy it? Because I, we were making fun of it last week. I honestly, I couldn't find anything I liked about this book. Yeah, I, I, I gotta admit, I, I kind of hated it. It was. I, I like to, that you guys bought it and I didn't. Yeah, the thing is, I wanted to like it. Yeah, but you know, it, I was, it, I was it, hoping it, it was going to have that quirky feel that uh, Knight and Squire has, because uh, I yeah. really dig Knight and Squire. But uh, wow. Wow, I disliked this book a lot. I mean, I don't like the character design for one. Um, you know, with the big snorkel <laughs> that well, I mean, he's, he's got. He's a cricket, right? Yes. Well, he's a Canterbury cricket. And, and what does that mean? Because I had know nothing about this character. Well, essentially, um, and Paul, correct me if I'm wrong. I think this is an original character for Flashpoint. Yes. Okay. So, so they asked themselves about we're going to make a new original character, and they came up with this. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. I think it was intended to be funny, but you know the problem is there wasn't the story wasn't told tongue in cheek. No, you know? no, it was told very straight. Yeah, they're trying to do this, you know this, and it's a little homage. horrific. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you know they're trying to do this homage to the Canterbury Tales, right? You know where the, this traveling character, you know, meets up with these other travelers, and you know they tell their stories and blah blah blah. Um, but it just it it didn't work because it was it was too serious yeah uh, i think is what the problem was yeah and you know the, the canterbury tales are are, are actually quite humorous <laughs> you know um and this just wasn't you know the, the the canterbury cricket essentially tells his origin as his story around the campfire and he's a con man you know he's he's a he he before becoming the canterbury cricket he was not a good guy at all he was he was you know dealt on his looks um, you know, philandered with the ladies, con guy. Um, so we're really kind of talking about Paul here. Um, <laughs> really? The Canterbury Paul. The, the, the Canterbury Paul. Um, the book, you know, he, he is you know in the, can- in the area around Canterbury at the time when the Amazons attack. And the Amazons are just, you know, hacking everyone to pieces. He gets a sword where? To the face! And actually, I'm sorry, it's an explosion to the face. Which, you know, gores up his eye, you know, ruins his pretty looks. And he, you know, uh, hides behind a girl. Girl gets a sword straight through the sternum. And this is one of the lines that really bothered me from the book. Um, The Amazon says, cowardly insect, first hiding behind a woman and now running to your god because he's fleeing into Canterbury Cathedral. I wouldn't think that an Amazon would be offended. That a man hides behind a woman because, you know, women in their culture are such warriors. So that that comment bothered me a lot. Um, so he, he runs into the cathedral with his ruined face. And I mean, his eye is all jacked up. He's lost most of his teeth. Horrible, you know, scarring and wounds from the explosion. Drops on his knees in front of the altar and, you know, begins praying. He's like, dear God, please don't let me die. I'll do anything. You know, oh, God, no, you know. And Canterbury blows up, falls down, and the next thing you know, he emerges from the rubble as the Canterbury Cricket. Because God made him a bug. Huh. Yeah. Um, it's really bad. <laughs> I, I, I really did not enjoy it. And it doesn't help that the book is populated with characters that I don't care for. For instance, the demon. And, you know, Jenny Greenteeth. 
Um, I was surprised when I flipped through and saw them too, because I thought this was basically going to be an actual insect version of Ambush Bug. Yeah, no, no such luck there. Wow, it was it was uh, you know, and again the from character design to the story itself. Um, just not something I enjoyed. And the, the premise is actually nice. I like the idea of a comic book superhero, uh, uh, Canterbury tales. I actually think that's kind of a neat idea, you know? So I think the idea was right. I think the execution was wrong. And was this and one of three you. or is this a one shot? Thank God it was a one shot. Yes. Oh, thankfully good. a one shot. Well, let's so. let's cleanse this horrible taste out of your mouth with uh, with some Wonder Woman talk from Wayne and Tim. <laughs> I thought you were going to say cleanse out the the horrible taste in your mouth with Wonder Woman. I was like, well, okay, absolutely. Well, that's okay too. <laughs> what, whatever floats your boat, Paul. I'll, I'll co-sign that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna tag Wayne in to start this one. Hit it, Wayne. All right. This series is almost over. We're I think one issue away from the big finale, maybe two. Uh, it's everything that's been going on in Straczynski's run is leading up to, to this. I mean, we, last time Tim talked about the, uh, the song of death that this character was uh, singing against wonder woman. And we got to see what happens in this issue. When you stop that someone shoots an arrow through this thing's neck and the person grows like the song is stuck in her throat. So her stomach grows until she bursts. I, I've never seen that before in a comic. That was kind of cool. And yeah. I will honest, I will honestly say I did not see the ending of this book coming either. That the big evil that's responsible for all of this, the evil oh, spoiler, big spoiler, the evil that's responsible for all of the gods going into hiding and the new Wonder Woman is the old Wonder Woman. Oh, is that hot? I I, uh, I can't wait to figure out what the, where they're going with this next issue. Say and what? The fight between the two. Yeah, the the, per, the person responsible for these three, you know, goddesses of death or, or vengeance or whatever. The the they call it they call it the nemesis. Yeah. So when it's all said and done, she she finally you know breaches the last you know, portal or whatever. And there's all these zombie, uh, zombie Amazons that she like, you know, kicks ass through. And and then at the end, yeah, standing there on top of the rubble that is like this broken city is old wonder woman. I'm like, Oh God. I didn't you see, see like, our wonder woman, like mine and Tim's wonder woman here holding the golden lassos on one end. And the other end of the lasso is everyone else's wonder woman. It was very, it was very cool. I also, mm. so, it, yeah, um, I, I can't. Mm. I'm. It's gonna be hard to wait for four weeks to see what happens here. But I also like the fact that you saw a little bit of redemption from the uh, the Artemis character. Yeah, she was the one that fired that arrow that caused the lady to burst. Yeah, right before she died. It was very cool. So. Yeah, and I thought this was gonna be the the finale, but apparently we got we got at least one more issue. I'm kind of hoping it's two more just to finish out the finish out the run, and then they can you know hit the reset button or whatever the hell they're yeah. gonna do. But I can't wait to see the fight next issue, Wonder Woman versus Wonder Woman. It's gonna be good versus Evil Wayne, and we're gonna be cheering for new Wonder Woman. That's I know right. It. It's gonna be great. 
yeah, Wonder Woman 612, Book of the Week for me. Uh, same here. Definitely same here. When this comes out in trade, you guys have got to get it, the rest of you that haven't been reading. I know the first part already is in trade, and you should go out and get that now. Do it now. All right. All right, see you guys later. You, you guys have a good week. See you later. Paul, if, I, you I buy, if you don't buy this book, I will... Uh, I have a knife with your name on it, Paul. I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> Douchebag. Yeah. So, so speaking of douchebags, Guy Gardner was in Emerald Warriors 11 this week. <laughs> and uh, I, I got I got, I got got some problems. So let, let's start off with the, the, the you know, the, the bigger overall problem is the fact that Emerald Warriors 11 is not the end of the War of the Green Lanterns. What the hell is up with that? So it's a Green Lantern. I don't know the numbers. You people know numbers. The the actual Green Lantern book is supposed to be the the, the last part of it. It's supposed to be chapter ten, and that's the end of the War of the Green Lanterns. Mm-hmm. So you might ask yourself, well, what what the heck happens in Emerald Warriors eleven? I mean, are they? Is it just really ridiculous shipping problems, and they're it's all happy go lucky after the War of the Green Lanterns? And I can say, thankfully, no. Um, this is a done-in-one kind of out of out of continuity kind of tale of Guy Gardner, um, and it's kind of an homage to one of those Captain Kirk kind of stories where uh, Kirk gets the you know the the blue-skinned uh, <laughs> alien because that's kind of what Guy Gardner is setting up to do in this one. So I'm not going to, I'm not, you know, it's, it's, it's a done one. If you guys are interested, you could, you can, you know, you can read on it. Um, I, I thought it was okay. Um, I'm, I had problems as far as the fact that, you know, it, it, it didn't finish the war of the green lanterns for me, but you know, I like Guy Gardner. So for me, it, you know, it was, it was, it was a, it was a B book. Not, I wasn't really digging the cover, but I, I, I gotta say the ultimate, the final issue of War of the Green Lanterns is in Green Lantern sixty seven, which is not released until July thirteenth. So it just seems a little bit of an odd scheduling issue because I'm, I guess we know Guy Gartner is going to make it out. I mean, we kind of knew that because of solicits anyway, but still, it's bad it form. A little, yeah, bad form. I mean, the, the, you're telling me this book couldn't have waited two weeks and been released the same day or something? Yeah, I mean, it's a done in one tale. I don't see why it couldn't have. No, I mean the only thing I would have done is you'd have had a couple shipping things where they were trying to pop out Emerald Warriors every two weeks to, you know, well, make September or whatever. But they're going to do that stuff anyways. That's going to happen been, regardless. Yeah, I mean they've been releasing pretty much all three Green Lantern books on the same week recently anyway. You know, that's kind of one of the qualms we've had with War of the Green Lanterns is that you know three Green Lantern books in one week instead of you know uh, kind of spreading it out. It's just odd that the one month they decide to actually correct that, they correct it in the wrong way. Yeah, so there's my there's my Green Lantern there my my Green Lantern problem. Well, Xenoscope Entertainment and writer Raven Gregory gave us an advance sneak peek at their upcoming series, The Theater, which is starting this September. Um, they sent us the first four issues to, to read and uh, gave us the permission to do an advance review of it on the podcast. Now, most other sites are, are still showing teasers and things like that. Um, but, you know, I think this is probably the first place we're going to that I've seen a review of the actual books. Um, you know, thanks to the friend of the podcast, Raven Gregory. So 
I, I know a couple of us read, uh, you know, the, the first four issues, or at least the first issue. What did you guys think of the theater? I guess I'm just happy with Xenoscope in general right now. The uh, the fly that they did, that they're still doing, that book is incredible. With this one, I had no idea what to expect, and I really enjoying this too. Yeah, I, I gotta say this tickles just my right buttons here. I mean, it, it's like going back to my childhood and all the great uh, comics and shows I used to like, and the horror. Uh, shows obviously and it's it's like retelling all those stories through comic book form and i i just i can't i love it it's it's i'm getting scared going back to comics yeah the and well and the artwork is is stunning in this book um i'm uh, talking about theater number one the the pencils on it are just amazing the the level of detail in every single panel is amazing and then you know you've got this just very personal story um uh, you know about coming emerging on the other side of a zombie apocalypse. Uh, I really dug it. You know, as somebody who really enjoys zombie fiction, this one, you know, to to coin uh, Andrew's term, you know, scratched me. It you know right where I was itching. It was just it was yeah. fantastic. Really this would have it. been an incredible episode of Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They they really have the the endings down on these, and I have to say for the uh, for the first story being a zombie story. This is a take on zombies that I don't think I've ever seen the story before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've seen you the beginning of the zombie invasion. You've seen the middle of it. I've never seen the cleanup afterwards. Well, and there's this there's this scene, you know, and it's after the zombie apocalypse is over and the boy and his dad are out there. And it's kind of reminiscent of the road in some respects, you know, because you know, father yeah. very protective of his son. And, you know, the son is, is you know trying to catch this rabbit. You know, and you know his father's like, you know, well, if you catch that rabbit, that's dinner tonight. And so he's trying to catch the rabbit. And there's this scene where the boy is, you know, poking up under some bushes between a fence, and the rabbit's in the foreground, and the boy's in the background, and the rabbit looks a little grungy. And I'm like, oh my god, it's a zombie rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those feral zombie rabbits. Kid is dead. That's not the way the story went. But I, for that for that one panel, I was I was so into the ominous setting. That I was just ready for anything to just, you know, jump out at me. So I, I, I Paul and I've talked before, you know, about how it's hard to have horror, you know, in a comic. It's hard to be scared in a comic. You know, you can startle and you can gross out, but sometimes it's it's hard to to pull that fear. And while I won't say that I was I was afraid in the comic, I was tense in the comic. You know, I was I was worried about where this was going. And, you know, and then when when the scene happens and I won't ruin it for anybody, when the scene happens, you're oh, okay, yeah, I know where it's going now. And you're just you're you're along for the ride. And uh, it was very well done. It was very well done. Yeah. And I think it's good that they don't don't go for that that startle, that jump in your seat that a lot of horror movies go for. They do very much tell stories that are more psychologically uh, kind of engaging. Yeah, it's more of a it's more of a personal horror. You know, right. uh, and I, I thought it was just very effective, you know, well, and, and the whole let's keep the secret, you know, which is a whole nother layer of the horror, you know. Right. Yeah. Well, and I have to say, I think my favorite issue of the first four um, was issue two. Mm-hmm. It's just so uniquely written. It, it's it very is. different than anything. I, you know, the, the way the story is presented is is extremely different. Um, yeah, 
than than you would expect, and I, I, I like that about it. There is a bit of dialogue in issue two that I, I just think is superbly written, and uh, the the narrator is saying, you know, I can't really explain the feelings inside me when I read the news. One part sorrow, one part elation, one part disgust, all wrapped into a sushi roll of emotions so pristinely prepared that I dined on the memory again and again until I could stand it no longer. And I mean, you you have got this richly illustrated comic. I mean, the artwork on these books is fantastic. I really can't say that enough. But as as fantastically illustrative as the artwork is, the narration is just as evocative. I mean, I, I think it, I think it's it's just supremely well written. Yeah, the narration on issue two with the point of view, uh, and I won't I won't spoil what they do, but it's just so engaging. It keeps you keeps you thinking and looking, and it's it's fantastic. Issue four reminded me of an episode of Doctor Who. There was uh, there was particularly an episode that had a lot of the same themes. The uh, the name of this one was the I don't know what the Doctor Who episode was called, but the name of issue three was the hole, and it's uh, you know something strange growing on a ceiling, and that was exactly what an episode of Doctor Who had, where you're going through the whole episode trying to figure out what this thing is. Yeah, except I mean, I, with more of a Twilight Zone twist here. And I think that's you know one of the things. There, each book has this, you know, this tale that ends with like a Twilight Zone type twist. Um, I, I liked issue three, and I, I just, I really, I love this series so far. I really enjoyed all four issues that I read. You know, the preview copies we were sent, you know, not every page was colored. In fact, most of the pages were, you know, straight from the pencils. But I mean, the pages the art, that are colored though are the colors unbelievable. Yeah, oh, I know, right? I mean, th- this book is going to look fantastic you know, when it comes. It was well, just like the the first copies we got to fly were the same way, where some pages were colored, but most were black and white. And I went out and I bought the the first issue of Fly, just so I'd have a complete full color version. And because it was just that good, I'm gonna do the same with this when it comes out because the art on this is incredible. And the I want to see some of these black and white panels that we see. I want to see the color version of it because. Whoever you know, this artist knows how to draw a hot woman. Well, and I gotta <laughs> say, I mean, the the pages are so fantastic. I'm, the question I started immediately asking is, does this guy sell his pages? Because uh, I wouldn't. There, there isn't a page on in either of the books that I read. I only read uh, uh, Theater One and Theater Two. There, there isn't a page on either one of those books that I wouldn't like to have on my wall. I mean, they are just stunning. Especially the reveal in issue one. Um the reveal of the the decimated world right like the you know the, when they first you know present the you know there's the two page spread of you know the thorny bush and you know the uh-huh. the, the, the entire neighborhood like oh man like fantastic and there's another yep. one like that in page in issue 2 where the the woman the investigator is standing outside of the mansion right you know and it's stormy outside just great storytelling i mean you know great horror comics which like we said rare uh, but just really worked well here yeah and yeah, I mean, my personal favorite was issue four. Uh, you know, it it looked at the dilemma faced two dads, and you know, as as a dad myself, it it spoke a lot to me about well, what what would happen to me if I was in that situation where I found out what they found out. And I, I gotta say, I think you should go pick up the theater. I think it's I think it's a unique experience in comics right now, and and I think it really speaks to you if you like horror, if you like tension. I, I say go out and get it. 
Well, this okay. this is a huge win for Zenoscope, in my opinion. And I, I just if you if you like horror even a little bit, you're going to love these books. And one of the things we've been, you know, we've avoided giving away too many spoiler, uh, you know, story beats, because I mean the book doesn't come out for doesn't even start for another two months, so we're not looking right. at theater number four coming out till probably December. But you know, there's this overarching, overarching, the you know, they're, they're, the main story arc or whatever involves the theater in question. And that's, I think, one of the most interesting aspects of the story for me, is they show little bits of this theater that, you know, like there's some the 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 stories that are presented are stories that are presented from the theater, and we've got this movie theater that there's something sinister going on there. That theater is a bad, bad place. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, there are dead bodies in the aisles. There, you know, some of the. And I, there are just all, like all these weird things that are happening in this theater, and I, like I'm, I'm dying to know more about the theater. Uh, you know, they're they're just giving us little little bits and pieces through the first four issues, but I, yeah. I could definitely see that becoming a bigger thing. I hope it becomes a bigger thing. Yeah. I hope it's not just like a crypt keeper, you know, type thing that we never get more story behind. But sure. I, I would really love it to to be a you know I love a full issue about the actual theater. Great stuff. Well, and I do not recommend getting a summer job at this theater. <laughs> yeah, don't, no. don't do it. Don't don't have sex in the theater. Just I no. I love no. the. There's a throwaway comment of uh, man, that theater stinks. <laughs> after we see the dead bodies, I love that comment. So, highly recommended. The theater starts this September from Xenoscope. You know, if your comic shop doesn't regularly order Xenoscope books like Wonderland or Neverland, Grim Fairy Tales, or Fly, for that. Uh, for that matter, you know, go ahead and, you know, if you're interested in horror comics, go ahead and pre-order it from your comic shop because it's it'll definitely be worth the read. Absolutely. Gorgeous book. Go out and get it. And get Fly, too, because it was incredible as well. Good point. But stay away from the Canterbury Cricket. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I like to put that cricket into that hole. <laughs> you know, even after having read the book, that still sounds really creepy, Andrew. <laughs> you're, you're, you're welcome <laughs> so we've come to the end of another exciting episode of funny books <laughs> like a freight train derailing <laughs> I think I've really learned something today <laughs> look at the villagers running and screaming from the wreckage <laughs> you know, I've, learned, I've learned that porn sack is not just an editor but a creative mind that's right porn sack pistachio I, it's a shame we can't get him to edit this episode <laughs> well, learn that crickets are bad animals to be superheroes. <laughs> we need to we need to actually get a hold of of porn sack to find out a if it's really porn sack and not porn saka or something like that. Oh no, it's porn and, sack. Uh, it's, no, it's, it's, I think it's porn sack, Andrew. I don't it's care gotta what be. That dude says. Maybe it's just like <laughs> Daryl Gregory's English. I don't give a damn. Daryl Gregory. <laughs> we need to interview the guy, but the whole interview would just be about his name. <laughs> well, it would be our pronunciation guide part two. Names. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. You get look forward to that on episode 200 of Funny Books. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, can, we can invite the, uh, the talent themselves to pronounce their names for us. Oh, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. You have a good week. You too. And happy See birthday. you guys next week. Happy fourth. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. 
No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. <laughs>